Welcome to the Millennial Pastor Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the intersection between faith and culture. I'm your host, Josiah, and today we're going to continue with some COVID conversations, which is why I am hosting alone. We have two guests, two returning pastors, two two friends of the podcast who have been on here before, but before we get into their introductions, we need to do some sponsor nonsense. And we're back on today's podcast. We have two pastors who've actually been on the show a couple of times. Uh, we're going we're to say Moose, but really, what, what's your real name, Moose? It's, it's Moose. No, it's <laughs> Matthew Mark Slater is my full legal name. Give us. Give I didn't us know you little, had a name. <laughs> give us your little Reader's <laughs> Digest. This is who I am. This is where I am at. This is my... This is my job where I'm at, contextually speaking. Uh, I am a pastor, lead pastor, but really the only pastor at, uh, at a, in, in Warren, Ohio. When I say champion, it's a township close to Warren, Ohio, but we're in Northeast Ohio uh, and um, been here for four and a half years already. And uh uh, it's it's warmer here than it is where our other guest is right now uh, which is pretty great i mean who, who knows what's going on with the weather because i guess texas all turned on their heaters and their power went out right because it's cold everywhere and there's snow in louisiana How, and you this is your first lead slash only pastorate right yeah i was an associate um in all the other places before so yeah this has been my first lead pastorate yes and just this this will be important because you guys have been on our show in the first season then you were on a panel when we did the hashtag blessed editions but you never played a game called how millennial are you and we're gonna have to come back to that after we also introduce willard willard tell us a little bit about yourself and your close personal connection with this podcast but also (laughs) your context your profession all the things that you do in the ministry world yeah yeah well my name is Russell Willard Certain, since Matt got to do his full name, uh, but I go by Will, and so yeah, I am a pastor in Northwest Missouri. I'm also like the lead and only pastor now, which has changed since the last time I was on, I think. Um, but anyway, so so yeah, so I've been serving here for eight years. Came on as a co-pastor originally, um, kind of a different. I know a lot of co-pastors, but most of them are co-pastors with their spouses. And I was co-pastors with, uh, with a guy who's my dad's age um, uh, here and uh, had a great relationship, worked out really well. And then he recently, uh, I mean, it's been in the process. So I, I say recently, it's been about a year long process, probably of like full, resign- uh, full retirement. Um, and so anyway, so yeah, so we've been, I think about a year senior only or solo or whatever you call that pastor thing um uh, what a here, year to start Northwest. doing that by yourself yeah 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 it's been an interesting deal <laughs> yeah yeah it really has uh i feel like 
COVID in, in a way was the kind of the transition point in a sense where it was like completely like he was, I was doing most of the responsibilities on my own, but, but he was helping me with, with some things here and there as he felt uh, comfortable doing so like healthy enough to do so. Um, and then when COVID hit, it was just like, okay, we're done. <laughs> and so, yeah, so COVID, so yeah, really it's been since last March that it really hit, I think. So, so yeah. Interesting. Was, I don't know if you had any other questions, Josiah. Sorry. Oh, look like Moose was going to ask. But, well, fun fact, Will and I actually were in seminary together at the same yeah. time. He graduated before me. And then his brother also moved to Kansas City in that same amount of time. And, you know, that brother, of course, is your other uh, socially distanced host who's not joining you for yeah. this COVID conversation. Okay, that was the question, my intimate connection. So, yeah, yeah, I grew up with Josiah and Byron. Uh, Josiah's like our third brother and we were over at his house all the time made a bunch of dumb movies together uh don't you, you have Google there's those three of you there's three of you so i would be like the fourth yeah. brother right yeah yep what did i say you I said, said third you're my third brother my third brother oh okay that's fair two, that's yeah. accurate okay that's, uh, that's accurate. so yeah you're, you're the, the fourth certain um so anyway so yeah so we have we grew up together no no families really well and uh what was that video that that production company called will because i'm pretty sure you helped come up with that name yeah i think i did uh it's called we're really creative Uh, i just want to say that out loud first um it's called poop on a stick productions and uh and our little logo was our four faces so my two brothers and josiah and i's faces like it popped up on the screen and then like faded out as the movies started and we made Josiah might have to help me. I don't know how like many. Because I wasn't in all of them. But we yeah, made, I, I was, was going to say 20, 15 or 20. Yeah. 20 we would premiere them at youth groups so. because that's what happens when you live in a small town and the internet doesn't fully exist yet. So, yeah. I mean. Well, those, the, the, those were our audience. I mean, those were the, those the cult following. Yeah. Yeah. Cult Man. classics. Uh, Poop on a Stick production. So, check it out. Y'all, y'all were so much cooler than me in youth group. We, we didn't do video in youth group. We, we did skits and we uh, <laughs> but that's the thing like pete and i were already graduated at that point like this is like post high school they might have been byron and josiah might still been in high school when we started you probably we were, were i don't remember we were still in high school so i remember i couldn't yeah. even drive for some of it people would have to come to my house to do some of the videos <laughs> because i was i didn't have a driver's license yet yeah our first video yeah, some was filmed in my house and will dressed up like a gorilla and uh Actually, I think it was my one of my younger brothers that helped come up with the the actual name for it as well because you were holding him and he was just saying random weird things. But it was when Joel was like tiny. I mean, like seven. Tiny. Yeah, Yeah, I was hilarious. I don't even know if he was seven. I mean, he was so little then. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty funny. Well, shoot. Good good times. We we have unpacked some fun personal connections. Y'all were on the (laughs) on the show long ago though. in our first season and then on the panels, but you never played this game. How millennial are you? Instead, we talked about some pop culture stuff with Moose and then with Will. I think we talked a lot about just co-pastoring and what that looked like to be, uh, you know, in, in a position where you're sharing responsibilities with other people. And we also talked a lot about how you're just the favorite child in your family. Uh, I think that's actually what, what the episode was called, but you can find it in the description of the video. <laughs> um, so quickly, though, I, th- I think we have to touch on some fun millennially 
things. Uh, but I'm going to, I'm going to put a spin on it. Cause I know some of this has some 2020 implications um, with your lives specifically changing with what has happened personally in 2020. Um, there's, there's some assumptions out there. I saw a YouTube video. I, I was tempted to send it to both of you before uh, this episode and I chose not to, but there's already stereotypes with being a millennial father as opposed to being like, I don't know, a boomer father. So I'm curious, this is going to be quick, hot take sorts of things. Are you the type of father that wh- whatever gender your kid is, like, are you the, they got hurt and you, you brush them off and tell them to walk it off? Or are you going to be like, where's the essential oils? Oh no, we need to reference WebMD. Oh dear, what does YouTube say about this? Like, which kind of father are you going to be uh, in regards to that particular? And either of you can go on this one. This, this is fine. We, what, whichever one wants to take that. What, if you're honest, are you more of a boomer dad? Brush off the, and that, this is the stereotype that I saw in this YouTube video, but it felt, it felt right. Or are you the uh, essential oil millennial dad? I'm both. <laughs> like when, when uh, that that's another new thing that's happened since the last time we were together i am a father now and we'll i guess we'll talk about that here in a little we bit we will but, uh, it's definitely like if she falls or you know whatever she's doing it's just like don't don't reference that she just fell she's fine <laughs> like infants can literally survive a, a jumping off a cliff <laughs> But then like there will be other moments too. Like if there's a, a rash or uh, there's a small temperature, like get my phone, is everything okay? WebMD. But as far as the essential oil thing, no. <laughs> Not at all. The only oil yeah. that I use are for cooking and for anointing people. That's it. You say you're not a beard oil guy. Is that what you're saying? Okay, I, I've I've dabbled in some beard oil. I've dabbled, before, but thanks. <laughs> I've dabbled in the beard oil. It sounds like yeah, it sounds like some sort of nefarious thing. That's pretty great. What about what about you, Will? If you, so, Josiah, you know me well. What do you think? <laughs> I don't know, dude. You got both genders for kids. So are you? And one of the the newest ones really young. So it's probably not a fair comparison. Yeah, he, but. he he's not getting hurt very often. Oh no. well. I would say that maybe based on this very isolated and obviously since all stereotypes should be taken as the word of God and accurate, you're maybe more boomer, boomerish than millennialish as a father. I'm completely more boomerish as far as like the hurt stuff goes. Like, I mean, yeah, I'm definitely, I feel bad sometimes. My wife, she's like, you know, you could be a little bit softer. <laughs> you know what they'll, they'll get hurt and i'll be like oh, the first thing i'll do is be like well why'd you do that like that's why you got hurt you know instead of being like <laughs> comforting and stuff so i'm trying to get better at that uh but yeah i'm definitely like oh you're okay you're okay just, just shake it i literally say shake it off uh and claire is uh awesome and she's so funny she's our three-year-old and she literally starts shaking like like her arms and her <laughs> you know like like this and she shakes it off i mean so it works that's pretty great. There are other really fun, I don't know, tropes, I guess is the word. Like one of them was don't make me pull this car over. Um, and then like the boomer dad portrayed in this video was basically like, I'm going to make you walk home. And then the kid starts to get out of the car. He's like, just get in the car. I'm just kidding. I would, 
wouldn't actually make you walk home. Your mom, your mother would kill me. Don't tell your mom that I told you that you're going to walk home. And then like the millennial dad was just like, let's talk about our feelings. Let's make sure everyone's okay. This was a poor decision. Should we not do this? So I don't know if there's anything, I, I guess I'm curious if you had one, one foot in both camps, what is the most millennial fatherly thing you do versus what's the most boomer fatherly thing that you do? If you can think of anything, if not, that's fine. I have something I could share that I do. That's pretty special. I can share one story. I, it won't answer your, it'll kind of sort of answer your question. So I don't know if I can share the millennial list thing I did, but I caught myself saying something that I, that I, really regret saying i wish i never had said it and i hope i never say it again but it's like the heat of the moment and i literally said to my five-year-old this last year at some point i don't even remember what it was about i said that uh <laughs> you want me to give you something to cry <laughs> it's literally what I said. and right after i said it i was like seriously how did that come out of my mouth like i don't i don't mean that i don't even know that so uh, that was the that was the boomerest thing i've ever done uh, that was but, my yeah. example. I so my dad said the exact <laughs> same thing to me once upon a time in a similar vein. It was like, if you ever scream like that again, you better almost be dying. And so I come out, and one of my kids was screaming, and I and I I told him the same thing. I said, there better be like a bear about to maul you or something. If you ever scream like that again, you better almost be about to die. That is not a scream for just my brother took my toy away. But I was on the phone when you said that. <laughs> was it i was gonna say i i felt like i might have been on the phone with somebody when i said that but that's probably how many times a, how many times a day do you do it though josiah that's the question now oh, that i have to ask because you're totally a boomer dad i mean i just know you you're a boomer dad <laughs> okay but the, here, here's the millennial side and this is the interesting kind of stereotypical stuff they're talking about that i can be super millennial about like we're pretty strict with what our kids eat right like our kids have have classically had tons of night terrors with too much sugar. And we even like dialed it into red dye number five or whatever specifically it was. I mean, to be fair, my wife's a nurse, so I don't know how much I would be like this if it wasn't for my wife, but uh, pretty intense about some of that stuff. I remember one time there was lots of friction at a church I used to work at because everyone was just dropping candy in our kids' pockets and trying to at potlucks just sugar them up. And I have like, yo, don't do that. Ask permission. And we basically just had to teach our kids um, I have to ask my mom or dad if I can have that cupcake. Uh, I, and if we, we were seeing as such intense, strict, young, oh, eventually they'll figure out it's okay to just pack your kids full of sugar, you know, types of parents. So that was probably the most millennial we got was with like specific food related things. Because uh, again, referencing this ridiculous video, <laughs> the boomer dad's just like, whatever, eat and leave me alone. That was basically how the boomer dad responded to stuff. So... What about you, Moose? Anything particularly millennial or anything particularly boomery you want to confess before we get into 2020 and how you how you were living your best life? I don't really have much to contribute to this until you mentioned food, because, I mean, we're, we're on our first child and she is still only one year and a month old. So, you know, like as far as discipline and all those different kinds of things, there's only so much that you can uh, really do uh and and what shows up what comes out of your your mouth but you did just mention food and um i don't know if y'all saw this from the this past week or whichever the the federal government shared that basically baby food suppliers have huge amounts of of metal present in their foods 
and not the ingredients, but apparently when they cook them, any case, long story short. So like there was like this moment for the two of us and, you know, we're like really worried about it. Like, oh no, like you've been feeding her this food and stuff like this. And then like the boomer side of me kicks in. So like, I, we've been feeding her this for months. So why do I even, I mean, like, why change it now? There's She's not any alive. other food I can go to at this point. <laughs> so hey, yeah, eat McDonald's <laughs> or eat Gerber food that has high amounts of, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> so I'm still figuring this out, <laughs> kind of boomer millennial thing. And, uh, and I'm, I'm not trying to undermine the, 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 the seriousness of the situation in regards to the baby food. I'm pretty disturbed by it. Um, but at the same time, we've been feeding her this baby food now for four months. And you're just like, so do we need to change it? I don't know. I mean, it's the same food that we were feeding her last week. <laughs> That's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if, if there was a millennial thing, it'd be, it'd be the food thing too for us. Like we make our own food for the kid like babies for like the baby food side of it so like lots of sweet potatoes and you may, may as well live on a hippie commune man i know right that's about the only millennial thing i can think of though but that's good i didn't think about it until you guys started talking about it. yeah where, that's and, and that's more my wife than it is me i mean i'll I, I well i'll make the food too but i mean she's the one who really is like let's make the food and do it she's she's healthy she's a healthy person so i'm not <laughs> <laughs> Well, hey, I think we should just do the the other fun little stereotypical things because I don't know if we've ever asked either of you of these things, but just briefly so we don't spend the entire time talking about stereotypes. Do you guys have a love for avocados? Yes or no? Amen. Amen. Guac. I like guac. Like I'm not like this add avocado to everything, but my wife does. Uh, <laughs> well we keep asking because we're hoping that you know eventually avocados from mexico will notice and then we'll get like a sponsor that i can make fun of that is even higher profile uh second question oh. i already know the answer to this but i mean feel free to confess i think you've confessed on the show before one of you has but how how much do you actually love coffee if we're talking money wise monetarily speaking how much how much of a love for coffee do you think you guys have I would spend a lot more money on coffee if I had more money to spend on coffee. More um, than retirement? Uh, yeah. Well, no, I wouldn't go that far because I actually, I mean, I'm in my mid-30s. We're millennials. We're, we're old millennials. We're in our mid-30s now. Like, That's why I, <laughs> I shifted it to mil- millennial dad stuff because I realized <laughs> I need to actually make it appropriate and contextually applicable to our own situations. We are, yeah. we are millennials, but doesn't mean we're not no. doing I'm, real I'm, life I'm, stuff. I'm picky about coffee. Like I really am. Like it has to be at least fair trade, but I have found ways to get fair trade at, you know, larger and larger amounts. So it's a little bit cheaper and stuff like that. But yeah, it, like spending $4 on a cup of like just coffee, not even like the fancy stuff. There's a local coffee place that does um, some different ways of, of brewing coffee. I'll drop the four bucks on some of the special ways that they do it because the cup of coffee is so stinking good. Like don't, you don't have to add milk. Don't add the syrup or anything like that. Just, Oh, and it's fantastic. I love coffee. And I would drink more of it if I could, but I'm, you know, mid thirties now and I, my stomach doesn't allow me to drink too much coffee. <laughs> all those dietary <laughs> getting all, getting all ugly heads. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you know me, Josiah, I love coffee. Um, I, 
I actually don't, I, I don't feel like I spend like exorbitant amounts of money on coffee just because I make my own and I, uh, and I do pour over every day. So, um, so coffee can be expensive, but I kind of buy it in bulk. And so, and, it's not and I don't, it's not, no, no, it's not Folgers. Uh, you grind your own beans, right? Yeah. I grind my own beans. So I, I really like it a lot. I think the investment at the beginning is expensive, but like if you, uh, after that, it's not, it's not too terribly bad. It hasn't been anyway. So, and I haven't been out, you know, COVID and other stuff too. I just had a baby. So I haven't been out and about at coffee shops either. So, but like Moose, yeah, I would, I would totally indulge in a, in a really good cup of coffee from a coffee shop. Um, and I would always, I mean, if it's a good coffee shop, I'd ask for, you know, the pour overs for sure. So, yeah. It's but I don't spend you... more on my retirement though. I mean, I don't spend more on coffee than I do my retirement. Excuse me. The fact that he does pour over at home makes him actually more millennial than I am. I don't even do pour oh, yeah. over at home. <laughs> yeah, I'm a snob, man. I'm a coffee snob. And I'm, you know what else I'm doing is I'm like converting people left and right, you know, with this, <laughs> with this coffee thing. And so, yeah, I, I, I have people in my church who are now pour over only. Uh, it's, it's a and, ministry, and it's, right? It's, that's what it, that's is. what it is. It's just a yeah. ministry. Yeah. So yeah. Are you, are you as millennial as saying like, do you, if you do coffee at your church, do you like make sure that the coffee is, you know, fair trade and a certain, no, you don't. I did that. I, well, well, I wouldn't mind doing that, but I, you know, I let, that's been delegated to other people. So I just let them kind of pick. They, the one thing that they've, and you know what, Moose, I should read up on it a little bit more because they switched from Folgers to community coffee. I don't know anything about community. It's a little bit better in Folgers, but, but yeah, I don't know much about it. So I don't know if it's fair trade or not, but one day you should, you should switch the, the community coffee with the community coffee with chicory and that will mess with everybody. <laughs> what is that? I'm, I guess I'm not millennial enough for the coffee. It's a New Orleans thing. It's actually uh, a New Orleans thing. Some they, they have a blend where they put chicory in it, and it's a very, very uh, – it's a different experience. So just – The most millennial coffee thing I've done is that uh, – oh, Kopi Luwak. Have you heard of that stuff? I don't know. Is that the – is that like the fancy cat poop yes. uh, coffee? Yeah. Yes. Is it good? It was super good, and like yeah. it, I had to kind of – mentally overcome some of that nonsense but like essentially this marsupial looking thing digests the coffee bean and makes it better which the one this guy was like pitching this to me at his house like it's super gross sounding i know but just do it and i think his pivot was honey is bee vomit and you love that right i said i guess that sort of makes sense he got me to drink it regardless and it was really oh i drank it i drank it without even thinking about it uh, I've heard I've heard it's the best that there is. The best that I've ever had is I've drank what the Royals drink in England, and that was that was pretty good coffee. Somebody got me a bag of that for a gift at some point, and that was awesome. Oh my goodness! Well, we we coffeeed it up, boys. I should make mention <laughs> I I wanted to catch them unaware because a both of these gentlemen help actually in some capacity will. Will will give his two cents, but uh, Moose is primarily one of our producers behind the scenes who gives us all sorts of suggestions for fake millennial headlines, for what we should ask to help with millennial stereotypes. And since I couldn't go to him to ask for what, what we should do, I had to come up with my own sort of surprise attack, which actually means I'm going to rearrange a little bit of our interview conversation today. Normally, 
we'd start having some fun conversations with our guests, asking them about all that has changed with their job and everything. But since we've do- we dove in so deeply into their personal lives, we're going to rearrange a little bit of the order of questioning. With our COVID conversations, we want to see what's changed with jobs. We want to see how they've done personally, and we want to know what what's coming next in their minds with the church and ministry. But today, we're going to start with the personal conversations. Uh, so I guess we'll start with Will. Um, we've asked our guests previously, Will, just what was the best part of 2020 and what was the worst part? And I know I, I, it would be easy to assume what the best part is. So whatever you want to say it is, that's cool. But if there's there's even two really really big highlights for 2020. We're just curious how it's been, because obviously, if, if we can't tell by just turning on the news or, or social media, people have been struggling with the past year or so. So I'm curious, just how has it been for you personally? Yeah, so like, I've, I've listened to your podcast the last three that you did. And um, I don't know, there's like a sense of guilt in a, in a way, because I feel like people have had really, really hard 2020 and uh I, I wouldn't say that our 2020 has been like the easiest in the world but it's been a really good year in a lot of ways for us uh like our personal lives and so um so yeah so i kind of feel like man i've had a really in comparison to a lot of folks i've had a great 2020 so so i guess the two if i were to pick two and there'd be a couple more that i could even highlight but the two best things uh are obviously December 2nd, I had our, we had our third child, um, and had a boy, his name is Graham. So I have three kids, a five, a three and a, and a two month now, uh, old. And so that was, that was pretty awesome. The other thing that's been pretty life-giving for us this year, this past year is that my brother, my older brother, uh, so not Byron, he's my younger brother, but my older brother, Pete and his wife, Melinda moved to Missouri, just moved really close to where we live. So, um, so that's been really cool to be close to, uh, to a brother and a sister-in-law so didn't you also move into a house that just got finished yeah so that's that yeah that would be up there too uh but that's yeah yep yeah we did move into a house it's a work in progress it's a parsonage so the church built a parsonage um but it's a church project and my experience with church projects is that uh they're always a work in progress so <laughs> which <laughs> is take, fine take longer than necessary sometimes yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's just, it is what it is. And so, but, but it's part of uh, our benefits of living here and they take really, really good care of us. So, and we love the house. So we're really enjoying it. So, so yep. do, is your guilt be, because, I mean, you say you have a sense of guilt or whatever, whether it's all that seriously guilt ridding you, ridding you, that's not a word, you know, what I'm trying to say. Um, I get what you're saying. Were you unscathed completely through 2020 or was there still some struggles that just personally as a person, you know, you could commiserate and, and kind of name. Yeah. That, that was a 2020 thing for me. If not, dude, I'm it's, not going to try to guilt you. No, no, no. You're good. <laughs> you're good. Well, I think we're going to talk about this later. So I think all mine would be, would be all, uh, you know, pastor, pastor related. So yeah, I don't think any of them would be like on a personal note. Like, I mean, I'm not saying that, I separate those two things completely because I don't, but, but you know what I mean? So, so yeah, on a personal family level, um, you know, like I think 2020 was really good. I mean, obviously there's been some struggles, but again, all that seems to me anyway, on the, uh, on the pastor side. 
So this is a little shameless to ask, or maybe just, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't ask this, but you know me, I can't resist. How many people ask if uh, Grambo was a quarantine baby? You know what? Not a lot of people ask that, but, but I think, I think, you know, they don't have to because they can just do the math. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> um, so Graham was, he, he's a quarantine baby in a sense, like right at, right at the beginning of quarantine. Like if we lived in Washington or maybe Ohio, cause I know it was hot like earlier for you two than it was for me. Um, the shutdowns didn't happen here. I don't think until like a couple weeks after it really hit the fan for especially Washington. So, uh, so yeah, so he would have been like at the very beginning of quarantine if you really want to know Josiah and I, yeah. And if you want to know more, Josiah, I could tell you, you know, about the birds and the bees. Oh, please tell yeah, me. Yeah, no. I could. I, I could tell you, like you know, the date. I could tell you the location. I mean, whatever. I, you know. I think my my wife, who's a nurse, cares more <laughs> about some of those specifics about ovulation and jazz. But I actually ask because there is something slightly serious about it. I just wonder, you know, in 15, 20, 30 years from now, what sort of stereotypes will be attached to kids born in this period, right? Because because there's something to be said about already some cultural, you know, sociological things that are being named right now and you know we call an entire generation the baby boomer generation so is there going to be a name for for kids grandpa's age that are going to be called the the quarantine boomer generate like is that going to be a thing that defines an entire generation moose doesn't seem so, to think so, no, so well there, there's not a big uptick of births actually yeah. this is actually so that's what i was going to ask yeah okay there hasn't been there has not been a a huge amount of of folks pregnant or or conceiving and, and giving birth in the past few months that would have emerged out of out of quarantine because yeah it's it, it so they're they're sort of worried about it actually yeah <laughs> they're worried that people aren't doing that it was predicted <laughs> it was predicted to happen but it has not come to fruition which is interesting but it's still i mean everything that defines generational stereotypes and labels is what was happening in the culture that those kids were born into and grew, grew up in yeah. so, so what about what about you, Moose? I know we spoiled maybe what could be your 2020 was great cuz, but what what was the best? What was the worst? How was 2020 for for Moose as, as a person, as just being a husband and and now father? How was that? Well, we welcomed our my our daughter into existence last January before everything hit the fan. So there was already, and since it's our first, you know, we were already adjusting to the fact that we're going from you know just a married couple to now a family so there's there's adjustment in that as it is and you throw a worldwide pandemic in her second month into existence and uh, yeah there there's been it's been wonderful and it's been terrible at the same time because uh you know you, you think about all the different things that you want to how you want to parent your infant and you know they talk about developing immune systems and now basically she doesn't experience other human beings for months on end and you know like just so and like every every part of the year for all the good there was there's also some terrible things to it so like for the terrible part is like you're not going anywhere and I haven't been on a date with my wife now in a year and a half and uh, you know, not really ever leaving um, our infant daughter really that much at all. I mean, there's, you, you want that break, but then at the same time, uh, my wife, who is a, uh, 
a school teacher because they worked remotely and from home and a lot of the stuff that we've done in ministry has been you know online and different kinds of things we've been able to have more time with our daughter that we wouldn't have had if not for the quarantine if not for the the pandemic and things like that so there's like that silver lining there where we've been able to have a little bit more time with her while she's growing and changing and uh you know becoming a full-fledged toddler which by the way i don't know who who told me that you know toddlers get their will at two no they get it at one lies uh (laughs) (laughs) they're they're pre-toddlering just like they'll pre-teen when they're like 10 or 11 so it's a thing yeah so i think so she's been an awesome spot i think the the whole two the balancing of of which you know family members can see her and you know having people over and you know, the risks, the, the, the risk evaluations, all these different kinds of things. That's been pretty terrible. Like it, it's, it's not fun in any kind of way. You want to go, you want to, you want every single family member to be able to see your new daughter and in the middle of a pandemic, especially whenever it's, you know, every single news report is something new about a brand new virus and kids are getting Kawasaki disease and all, remember, remember all this stuff, right? A few months ago. So you're like, Fear very much easily uh, could could come in and and sort of dominate how we were making decisions and and, and doing things and um, so that's been that's been difficult. There's there's definitely been some anxiety uh, in the past year uh, and um, and isolation too because again you everything the world is different whenever you have a kid you you, you know you it's not real until you have your first kid and, you know, people can say it and you don't really fully realize it until you you have um, that amazing blessing. So we didn't uh, leave the house for two or three months with our first kid. And this was 2012 when life was sort of normal. And the first time we left, we were literally like worried about, should we just leave the car seat covered? Cause we were trying to go eat at a restaurant. We didn't even want people breathing too close to him. We didn't want them coughing or sneezing on them. So I can't even imagine like the, the amount of just stress and anxiety and fear we had about they let us take him home. The nurse isn't going to come home with us. Just like the sort of doubts and fears and concerns about being a parent in regular life. I could not imagine trying to do that mid pandemic. So I commend you for surviving. Well, and, and the craziest thing is like the first two months before, because really everything, you know, hit the fan in March, really, that's when it was like, we were going out and cause I mean, first of all, it's Northeast Ohio and <laughs> it's, it's a long winter. Let's just say that, <laughs> um, you know, something that you don't know about the great lakes, or if you've never lived near the great lakes is they create a lot of clouds. So out in Kansas City and out in the Midwest, in the middle of the winter, it could be negative 10 out, but there's sun. Here, it's just gray and all this other kind of stuff. And so what we were doing, like January and February, we'd go out to our, our mall and, uh, and we would um, <clears throat> walk around the mall just to get out and all that different kind of stuff. And I mean, you know, in hindsight now, COVID was here before March and I mean, you know, like it was almost, 
you didn't know the risks and then you found out what the risks were and then you freaked out about the risks more after <laughs> you found out about the risks and yep yada 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 absolutely but still i and i feel that too we have the same we don't see the sun for a long time here so it was I I wanted to say something. I didn't want to interrupt you though, but that whole you're not ever away from your kids sort of a thing. I just sometimes I mean I love it, but I also it's so exhausting at the same time. So there's some days where I just refer to it as like I'm in kid purgatory. It just the, there's this thing you just like never escape, and you're the dad, and you're the homeschooler, and you're the judge and the jury, and you're the physical therapist and that you know when she's not around i'm trying to bandage kid like you don't bandage as well as mom like well mom's a nurse so of course i'm not going to do that as well as mom but uh this morning (laughs) my wife is actually here which is why i'm actually kid free and even though the one and a half year old is aware like yeah mom's here so why are you getting me out of the crib he just he just cried like yeah I don't I not the mom this, what is that that's from a show right not the mama dinosaur yeah you can watch it on Disney Plus right now hooray watch it she's terrified of it what <laughs> it's terrifying I mean I've it seen is... it yeah Weird I grew up with it so it's not terrifying but I guess it's terrifying to people who haven't watched it whenever I've seen it it's still terrifying it's weird that's a <laughs> weird dinosaur robot things what yeah my kid my oldest kid described it like. You know, the weird robot dinosaur thing where they don't walk normal and their face does weird things like, oh, dinosaurs. Well, kid in the 90s, when you had to do stuff with like the robot tech we had, that's what it looked like. But uh, oh, my goodness. So 2020, maybe a mixed bag between especially the three of us, which is something that's probably nowhere to say. Um, We've intentionally wanted to have two guests on the podcast with these conversations because we also want to point out the fact that part of the struggle with just the 2020 experience is that not everyone has the exact same experience, obviously, but to an extreme that, that causes some strife. Some folk, I remember telling me, I don't know a single person that's had COVID and that's why they chose to act or think or do what they did. And then others, you know, they had a family that was decimated by stuff. And so that forced them to act, think, live the way that they did. But the same can be said for pastoring, uh, you both are pastors. We want to talk to pastors because so much that is going on in 2020 and 2021 is kind of putting a magnifying glass over maybe some significant issues that the church has struggled to deal with historically um, and and very recently as well. We normally ask, do you still have a job? You both kind of opened up with, yeah, you all still have jobs. So I don't know if I really need to worry about asking about that. But I am very curious to what has changed? Because I know both of you, since I have asked you to be on the show, have had different changes, still some changes, but I'm curious just what happened uh, with particularly the Sunday morning and how you have pastored your folks. So so Moose, particularly with what would have been concerned considered normal pre-COVID stuff in how you would pastor and how you would lead things like Sunday morning what was the timeline? What was the progression? How did things start to change? How were decisions made? What was it like to pastor at your church through 2020 to today? There is, yeah, I think the funniest thing is like, it's been phases. Like when everything happened in March, you just have the initial, all right, just shut everything down, get you know, get in front of a camera and, and how you can talk to your people in a, in a wide way. 
uh, as best as possible. And so there was definitely a number of weeks of doing that. Um, first, I, you know, I want to say the first two and a half months was that. And um, it stunk because, you, you know, you, you, as a pastor, it's, it's not just leading services and it's not just uh, calling people and, and, and things and, and speaking the gospel and, and, and trying to, to make the gospel, um, not make the gospel, um, apply it into life, right? And, and, and so you, you'd say things like, you know, do the distancing, put on your mask, you know, love your neighbor, all these different kinds of things. But then you also had to model it too. And so if you're not having services, then you're not doing stuff yourself either. So personally, so, so as you lead people to say, we're not going to meet in person for this period of time, uh, you personally don't go out like to eat or to shop or all these different kinds of things. And, and still to, to this effect, it, that's been our lives still um, in such a way that it, it bleeds into the personal where how you pastor and if you're going to say, well, we're not going to have service, then, you know, my wife and I aren't going to be going out to eat or doing anything like that either um, for personal thoughts, but also for the for modeling for others. Um, so, but in any case, back to where we were going for the phases. The first few months was just online, no music at all, because, you know, this, maybe this isn't going to be that long. We don't, we probably don't need the licensing to, to put music online, all that, that kind of stuff, right? And that and started we, in March, right? Yeah, yeah. Because you guys were fr- pretty early on as well. Like Washington and Ohio and then California were pretty much getting hit pretty hard right away. Yeah, our governor, our governor was very, very um, like lockdown friendly at the very beginning. Um, to his own detriment, actually, uh, in, in a way of a lot of people criticize it for it. And then now he's on the other side of it, not doing enough, but that's, that's besides the point. Uh, (laughs) But uh, yeah, in May, you know, when we learned more about it, we, we started having service in the parking lot and maybe it was May or June, whenever we started to do that. And um, we have an overhang. We brought a stage out. We got a FM transmitter. People came in their cars. We did drive in church all throughout summer. And, and it was, uh, in that, during that time frame, when some in our board said, well, are we going to have, do we have a plan to get back into the building, you know, at, at any point? And I said, you're right, we need to do that. And so we started, it was almost a two month process of how do we get people back in the building safely? And what are the terms for us to meet safely? And we took a long time to do that. And we finally got back in the building in October and it was based on what the state was telling us through these advisory levels, which takes not just case numbers, but also um, where those cases are, where our ICU capacity is, you know, hospital entry admittances, all those different kinds of things. And basically we said, hey, if it's red or higher, we're not having service we had two services and we haven't had, we haven't had in-person service since mid-October now um, because that's where our state advisory has been. And it's been really difficult because um, 
because it's really old. <laughs> it's really old uh, for my wife and I to basically um, have somebody watch our daughter for a half an hour and do the music. And then I preach and talk to a camera and, and try to get all those different things. Discipleship is Zoom only in the midst of all of this. And while it's, it's, it's nice to talk with people, it's nice to reflect, it's still not the same as being with people. And um, yeah, so it really, the, the pastoral job moved from being with people to talking at a camera and talking on the phone. That's really what it is. It's, it's, and so your, your visiting is always longer and, and almost always a little bit more exhausting. In some ways, it's a good thing, right? Because you're not just getting the, the 30 second to one minute uh, interaction that you have with people on a Sunday morning. You know, if you're actually calling them, you're going to be on the phone for 15 minutes or 20 minutes or half an hour. And you actually know what's happening instead of just, oh, hi, pastor. How you doing? Good, good. How are you? Good. You have a good week? Yeah, good. Blessings to you. Bye. Because <laughs> that's, I mean, I mean, that's how sometimes our Sunday interactions can be. Uh, and so in some ways we're sharing life a little bit better over the phone, but at the same time, it, it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't feel there, there's something to be said about the hugs and the, um, you know, just being able to look into someone else's eyes instead of, you know, at a, at a camera or a screen or not seeing them at all. And um, so, yeah, so how have things changed? Um, really a lot more isolated than it used to be. <laughs> Understandably. And it sounds to me, because I know that I've talked to a couple pastors to ask how they came about these decisions, but you know, some people form committees, some people just decide and the board sort of supports. It sounds like you did some collaborative work with your board to kind of decide what to do and why. Um, and I'm sure even on your own district, even in your own location, like other churches came to different conclusions because they could. There is a certain, I guess there's a certain level of what I would consider a, a level of autonomy, not complete and total autonomy in things like this in, in our tribe. And I know Will's barely even Nazarene and we're going to ask him some of these questions, but, um, but like even with other Nazarene churches in your district, were there completely different approaches to this stuff? Yeah. Um, well, I'll talk about what we did first and then I'll, I'll compare us to the other, other churches and even not even just in our district, right in, in the same town as me. Uh, <laughs> Cause that's, that's, that's a very interesting uh, paradigm there. So we began our conversation about, you know, how to safely have, have worship with a conversation with somebody who works in the hospital. Um, and, and this particular individual, uh, even though worked for the anesthesia company, basically the hospital put any intubation into the anesthesia company's hands. So this person who we consulted with was intubating uh, COVID patients like for, for several weeks straight, like, like that was all she was doing. And so we had an understand, she had an understanding of it. She had seen the disease and what it was. And, uh, it was a really good Q and a, uh, to, and, and so that was sort of our first thing was we had some questions for her. She provided the answers and then we began to build uh, you know, each part of, of what a worship experience would be like. So like you come into the door and 
do we have temperature checkers and which we did and there's enough hand sanitizer in this building to you know burn down Rome and uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know all these things but then we had you come to the realization of the limitations of your building in the midst of all of this like for example we have pews and a sanctuary can't social distance in our in our sanctuary very well our capacity in our gym was way better than our sanctuary and so we ended up you know making decisions to go in inside the gym and and so we do all this and then we come down to the point of so what is the what's what's the domino that causes us to just be online and it just came back to um what 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 the medical what i don't know what what her official title is what she suggested we asked her we said so is red probably the best level for us to to cancel service and she said yeah i think so i think that gives a good understanding of what's happening in the community and you don't want to be a part of the problem of you know contributing to hospital loads and icu loads and all these other different kinds of things but other churches didn't have the same advisor no <laughs> uh in, in fact I sent, I sent our, our plan to our DS district superintendent and, and he shared that he was, he thought it was really good. And I, I hope other churches did that too. I don't know how much, you know, feedback they got, but yeah, there's, we're the only Nazarene church in our area that is, that's been this conservative. Most of them are still meeting in person. I think they have all have masks on and things like that, but most of them are meeting. Uh, and so I've gotten the whole, well, why is this church open and we're not? And well, this is, this is what we decided. And we, we want to be a part of the solution. We don't necessarily want to be a part of the problem uh, for our hospitals and medical workers and things. And I have to say this, like we would have, we, I don't know if we would have had an outbreak, but we would have had to cancel service if not once or a number of times because people in our church still got it. Mm -hmm. Like it, it did go through. I mean, I think I was, I was going down our list of folks the other day and between vaccine and, um, and actually getting the sickness, which there's more people who got the sickness than the vaccine at this point we're already at like 40, 45% of our church that has some type of immunity to it. So now that is going forward. That's sort of the new conversation for us is, um, are we going to be able to resume sooner than what the state believes us to do? Because we have a high percentage of immunity already. So. You reach some level of herd immunity. Yeah. Well, I think that's, that's so intriguing. I, and I'm, we're going to transition, ask Wilson these same questions, but before we do, Part of the glaring issue that I think we've seen in our in our denomination or just in our church or just in the American evangelical culture in general is there has been sort of a even unspoken assumption that there's a one size fits all approach, right? One size fits all mold for a pastor, one size fits all Sunday morning, one size fits all approach to this, that, the other. And there hasn't been a whole lot of nuance or flexibility or contextualization, or I use the phrase once and uh, the Methodist pastor in town said, I love that you said this word. I don't hear it enough. Cultural exegesis, right? Like understanding what our culture is going through and trying to determine what's best because, Will, I mean, you have a different story with 
being a pastor, your church meeting. Um, I don't even know when your first case popped off, but share a little bit about the difference in, in what you guys have done as a church, um, what you guys have decided to do, how those decisions came about, what has or hasn't changed with your Sunday morning, what has or hasn't changed with you being a pastor. Yeah. Um, so my wife and I went on our, uh, like just a little anniversary trip, just a real quick anniversary trip to go hang out with, well, <laughs> with each other, but, but down, uh, in this beautiful place, it's a national river. We didn't even know there were national rivers. So we went backpacking and, and spent a few nights, uh, down in Arkansas and had a great time. Um, and anyway, so when we were coming home, we found out that, uh, that the, um, March Madness was canceled. So I was like, well, that's kind of a big deal. Uh, and, and other things were going on. So, so that's how I found out about the whole, like, wow, things are really shutting down now. And, and when, so when we got back, I think we met for a Sunday or two. And then, um, and then we stopped meeting after that. Uh, the state of Missouri, our governor and everything, asked us to not meet, asked churches to not meet. And so anyway, so we did that. And we, I can't, I honestly can't even remember when we started meeting again, uh, but we did, uh, and I, I really can't remember when we started meeting again, sometime at, way after the summer. I can't remember when it was, um, but we started meeting again and we didn't do any, um, we, we, we spread out our sanctuaries. It's, I call it a sanctanasium because so, it's a gymnasium sanctuary. And so we spread out the chairs. We, we, we didn't pass anything. We, you know, I, I would go in in the, in the week and set everything up um, and then leave it for a couple of days. Uh, we did some, I personally and our board did, did a little bit of research and I don't even know if that research still stands because everything changes pretty quick, but, uh, but just about some of the things that we could do. Um, and so, so like our, our, our district had Dan Spate come and do a zoom meeting call thing. And, and anyway, so so I, I used some of that, that stuff from there and just, just some, a few other ideas and, and things like that to where we opened up again, um, <clears throat> you know, with sanitizer and all that good stuff. Our county hasn't had, or, well, so our state is, is a very red state, uh, as, as you guys well know. And Politically red. Yes. And our... Uh, red means a lot of things right now, dude. I didn't know if that meant like COVID red or... Yeah, or that's what? a good point. That's a good point. Um, very good point. Uh, so, so yeah. He's a communist? So, no. Just, <laughs> yeah. Hey, good point. Good point. Uh, so anyway, I think everybody who's listening knew exactly what I meant, but I appreciate uh, my millennial pastor uh, friends, You're peers help, helping out with that. So anyway, and so he hasn't, I, like, he hasn't been overly intense, our governor, about, about shutdowns and things like that. And he's really pushed it to the local authorities governing authorities to make those decisions and so so uh so i i would say that the state of missouri especially in rural areas which i'm in one uh is very open um masks in a lot of places are mandated uh but you and and then you know all the recommendations are still there but uh but yeah the everything is still open like a lot of schools are still meeting um and they have like the state of missouri has come out with like a, a plan about quarantine and all that stuff to get the kids to stay in school. And so they all have to wear masks and things like that. It's, it's interesting. It's, it's interesting. Uh, and that's a understatement. Uh, and so, 
so yeah so we're just you know so so we we did a similar stuff uh as as moose we didn't have somebody who worked in the hospital come and talk to us but we had somebody who is on like an emergency she i don't know she she's a county employee sort of kind of but she like she she represents I, I can't even explain what she does. She's an emergency something or other person. Consultant. <laughs> and so sort of, but like she has a state position. I mean, she's a county employee, I think, but she's tied to the state. She had to go to Washington, I mean, to represent our region for all kinds of stuff too. So, so she's got a good position. She knows, she knows the context of everything going on and, and pays really close attention to it. Um, and so, and actually she, she, uh, is instrumental and th- these next two days our, our church is going to be a vaccination site basically and, and they're hoping to get 2,000 people in in two days uh, to get the first round of vaccinations and then they'll do that again depending on which one they get and I they probably know now but they didn't know last week when I met with them which one it is but anyway so so two to three or four weeks so they'll do the second round after that but anyway so she's really tied in and so so that was really helpful and so we did online church for for a long time I, uh, I asked a few of our worship team members, not very many, but a few of our worship team members to come in on Sunday mornings and play piano and sing. Uh, and, and we did that distanced. Um, and then I preach and, uh, I just really didn't want to, which may have been wrong. I don't know. I just really didn't want to preach to a camera, uh, in my home or anything like that. By it's myself. so fun so, though, Will. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. And so, so anyway, so I, so we did that and that, that was good. I mean, that, that, that was good, but it was just really good to get back together. Um, and so we, yeah. So like I said, we were just trying to go through the safe steps to do that. Um, but there's, I mean, there's just tough stuff about it. I mean, you know, I think one of the things, I guess I could have included this in my personal thing, Josiah, but, but 2020 was a horrible year in a lot of ways because of the political side of it as well, because everything in our country now is politicized. And so was the virus and the election didn't help that. It hurt that so much more. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so there is a big, um, you know, in our area, there's just a big push against any kind of like safety precaution for some reason. And so like masks, for instance, are just not a thing that, that fly around here very well. Um, and I don't like wearing a mask, uh, but, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't know. And so, so anyway, so, so that's, so that's what the one precaution that, that, uh, that we did not take. Um, and part, and part of that is, you know, we, we could talk about having masks, but, you know, and I recommended masks, but, but no one would wear masks unless they absolutely felt like they wanted to themselves. So, um, you had to decide if you're going to be the pastor of enforcing masks every time you met basically, huh? Right. Right. Yeah. And my board was not like they, even, even the woman that I told you about, I mean, they, they were open to, you know, as long as we're distancing, as long as we're doing these other things, you know, and, and they kind of know the feel of the area. And I think some of them are averted to the whole mask thing as well. So. When um, did you have your first case in your County show up out of curiosity? Do you remember? No, no, I don't remember our, so, so that's the other side of it as well. The other side of it is that um, there have been some deaths in our county, uh, but the number's really low. We only have 4,200 people in our county. Um, and so the numbers of actual cases, now that's obviously like the ones that have been confirmed. So there's been more than, than this, but there's only been about 
uh, I think, I think the last number was um, 400 something cases in our County um, confirmed cases, I should say in our County. Uh, so the numbers have been real low. Um, our County hasn't had like our mayor, the mayors of our towns, the, the communities haven't had any restrictions, you know, about anything. So uh, them themselves, like, like our newspaper will straight up say like, just all the recommendations, but doesn't even say anything about a mask uh, unless you are working for a long period of time within six feet from somebody else. That's what, that's all it says. We recommend that you wear a mask. Um, so stuff like that. So it's just, it, it's because of the low numbers, I think. And because of the politics, I think in a lot of ways, like it's just really affected the way people view uh, the coronavirus and how we respond to it. So uh, in our say- church, you say you had 400 cases for 4,800 people? 4,200. Yeah. So about 10%. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's, that's here too. Like it's about 10% of our population has been confirmed with it. So like, oh, okay. So, so that like, number is pretty similar. Yeah. Like we have 197,000 people in our County, mm. but, it, but we've had over, you know, 10, well, no, 13,000 14,000 cases, something like that. So right around that nine to, you know, percentage mm-hmm. mark and stuff like that. But so that's, what's really interesting is that 400, 400 cases sounds like nothing. Whenever I say that we had 14,000 cases in our County, people are like, well, that's right. a lot. maybe that would be a different idea, but really it's, it's no different than the percentages are the same. Yeah. 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 Do you have yeah. a hospital in your local vicinity? Do I mean, I know Moose does. Do you have one, Will? What do you mean by that, Josiah? <laughs> in do the rural and rural context, do you have a county <laughs> hospital? Do you have a hospital in no. your county? No. So I have I have a county north, uh, a hospital north of us, a small community hospital in uh, Atchison County, which is the county north of us, and then um, two counties south of us is St. Joe, is the big yeah. city. It's got seventy six thousand people, and they have a uh, they have a hospital there. And so yeah, and that that's the other thing too, is that right now. Uh, not during this whole time, but right now, the COVID numbers, the ICU numbers, the hospital numbers are really low right now in our area as well. And so that's another, but they haven't always been. Um, they, they were high uh, in November, December, I think. So. Yeah. I, I also, I mean, you guys, I've shared on the podcast a couple of times. I've had probably the most extremely cautious approach compared to the three of us maybe like slightly even more cautious than moose um but because i was deemed an exposure risk so it's just it's just something that intrigues me because i could very easily get into a well y'all did it wrong sort of a conversation right with the people in my town or with you two or with whatever um but i don't know what we take away from this moving forward because that's that's really what i want to talk to these pastors about is i think at the very least what could be said is that there will be huge ramifications for the church moving forward because of COVID, because of 2020, because of the political nonsense, because now, and this is what's ironic. I think I could easily start making jokes about, you know, QAnon or, well, your church is going to give out vaccines. Will, isn't that going to be a problem in a very red County, right? Like that, just the fact that that's an immediate, and I'm sure I'm not the only person that might think that, right? Like suddenly, oh, well, vaccines, you're going to wake up the next day hearing, you know, the Windows operating system startup music because Bill Gates now owns you or whatever the case may be, right? Like 
there's just a crazy level of cultural and sociological uh, ramifications to this, aside from just, hey, um, you know, this is best for just health and safety. Moose, you already talked about a little bit about, are we gonna now start considering herd immunity for when we meet now moving forward? And just knowing that some of those numbers might have some similarities percentage-wise, but then just the cultural, political, sociological ramifications. I mean, moving forward, I can't help but, but really ponder that we have been set up to believe some sort of, I don't know, I don't know if it's really a red herring or not, but like that, yeah, one size fits all. This is the only way to faithfully pastor. This is the only way to actually do church. This is the only way to do any of this stuff. So I'm really interested in knowing, especially since both of y'all have taken different approaches. Both of you have had slightly different, um, I don't know, uh, decision-making or at least opinions or context that have affected or, or maybe informed some of what you have done. But I'm curious about just generally, where do we go next, both as pastors, but as just the church in general? And I guess I'll start with you, Moose. Um, what changes? What stays the same? What does it look like to pastor in the next year, in the next five years? Where, where are we at in 10 years? I mean, take it down the rabbit hole as far as you want to go. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the best way of addressing this question, because, I mean, the problems that we've got are not new. You know what I mean? Like, we, we, we talk about, like, the word of 2020 was, this is unprecedented. Unprecedented. And, <laughs> and if you actually look at history, no, actually, this is not unprecedented. This has been an issue. Uh, some, you know, some historians like to say that uh, history is a, is a circle and we come back around to it and all these, uh, you know, different ways of, of looking at everything. So, like moving forward, you, you and I have had conversations of does the church even look like the Sunday morning gathering, you know, moving forward? Is it, is it more like this or is it more like that? And I, I remember telling you, I said, well, the Sunday morning model survived the pandemic in 1918, 1919, you know, like it, they did this. I mean, they, they did this isolation mask, whole thing. There's, there's fake news going around about wearing masks. There were anti-mask brigades and all kinds of stuff. In, so crazily in, similar, so crazily right. similar. So like, it, we have to really address the root, problems of the church in response to this not just get sidetracked by the fact that you know people left our churches because they were mad that we required masks or because we didn't require masks or <laughs> all of this comes back to um, some pretty significant uh, dis uh, trends within probably the American church. I mean, I, I think it's, it's a problem worldwide, but it seems to be a real big problem in the American church where we fashion our, our Christian belief far more in what we believe personally. Um, it's, it's, it's in the heart of the individual. And that's why we see so many people have different kinds of perspectives you know whether it be politically whether it be on vaccines whether it, how do you use science <laughs> you know all of all of the stuff that that we're now bringing into our minds all the information and stuff like that if you center it in 
my experience of God and my experience of church and what I think it's supposed to be, we run into this problem every time you there's always there's going to be a church for everything that you want to believe at some point down the road and then they'll have something that you don't believe and you'll leave that church to go find another church to find everything that you believe which is why we may have the most and i'm using air quotes the the listeners can't see this christian denominations of any country on the planet. I said that once to a group of pastors that were in our community and the response was, well, yeah, we're a Christian nation, of course. And I just had to bite my tongue. Like, okay. So it's very Christian of us to not like other people and prove them wrong by starting our own denomination. That's the inherent Christian decision moving forward is, well, you're wrong. So I'm going to start my own thing and talk about how I'm right. And you're wrong. Cause that's kind of inherent with a lot of the recent denominational nonsense that's happened, but right. Um, but yeah, so all that to say, that's sort of the root issue in, in regards to a lot of these conversations, uh, moving forward, what does the church need to look like, or what does it, what are the priorities? What are the things that we should unify around? Because at, at the end of the day, if you read, if you read Acts, if you read the gospels, if you read the letters of Paul, church as shown in our scriptures is not what we have today. It's completely, it's far more intimate. It's far more involved. It's far more committed. It's far more uh, sacrificial. And I was, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that COVID causes us as a collective to recognize how shallow our church experiences were and how how discipleship via personal preference or discipleship via what I'm interested in may not be the way we should be doing things in the church. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask a question that's more pointed, and I think it'll be interesting because on one hand, I know some of our listeners, the demographics might find it laughable that I would even ask this. And then there's probably going to be a select few that might even be offended by this question. But do you see the Sunday morning experience itself, the Sunday morning gathering, whatever we call it, the service, the worship time, whatever, is, is it possible that it's going to be the sacred cow moving forward with a lot of churches? Like it'll, it won't be it won't be what it intended to be this, this, you know, vehicle for discipleship, this opportunity for worship, but instead it might become just a sacred cow. I think it's always been a sacred cow. Okay. Um, like, yeah, I grew up, I grew up in the evangelical culture that Sunday is Sabbath. And then I went to college and no, actually Saturday's a Sabbath, (laughs) 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 you know, like all these different things. Um, no, I mean, before COVID, it's, it's always been a secret cow. Ask, ask a pastor who is looking to accommodate people who have uh, difficult work schedules um, and say, hey, we're going to have a service on Saturday night or we're going to do this on Tuesday night kind of thing. What? Mm-hmm. We can do church things on mm-hmm. other days of the week, you know, or outside of Wednesday and Sunday, you know, because that's sort of the, the traditional Uh, thing is you know you have your Sunday and then you have your midweek stuff going on there and so yeah it it's always been a sacred cow I think 
the worship service in of itself is is a sacred cow I, how many we came out of worship wars we're the generation that came out of worship wars where you know families left because a drum set was added to a added to the platform which happened in my church that's the thing is like that like i'm not joking there was a group of 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 people in the early 2000s who were all in the same like network or whatever they came in on sunday they saw the drum sets on the on the platform and they literally turned around and left and never came back to this church ever again that so, happened that happened to the church uh, will and i grew up in as well so yeah so all of it the programming the the things that we've added to it all of it is is potentially a sacred cow the, the the hard work that we have in front of us is is it a is the means of discipling getting in the way of discipling hmm. and if it is what are we willing to do about it and if it is but isn't that big of a deal are we actually using those times and those spaces and those services in the right way to disciple because it does come back to discipleship Mm. uh i think too many of us have fashioned um even us as pastors we're tempted to do this people come to listen to you to get life advice and the gospel is not life advice. It's a life. It's something that is completely transformative. And yeah, it does affect it. There are specific things that you have to talk about, but like, are you preaching in that way? Are you, <laughs> how do you talk to people? Are you the only person that people come to, to talk through uh, different parts of, of scripture and, and, and discipleship and, and all of those things. So it's, uh, there's a big task ahead of us, but it, it was already here. It was really already here. I, I think COVID just made it more pronounced. It, it showed who we are. Um, I, I guarantee you that, that Will has seen things in his church that he'd probably never seen before in the past year because of COVID, because I've seen things in my church that I had never seen. <laughs> and it, it just, it, it basically exacerbated all of the, 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 the bad stuff that we, we've got going on in our churches. So before I ask Will the same question, I want to make sure I'm, I'm going to say what I, I think I hear you saying. Discipleship stays, our attempts, our efforts to disciple might need to be evaluated. And that is what could change. Yeah, I mean, discipleship happens all the time, and we have to be willing to say that. And and yeah, the the preaching is is a part of that, but also the fellowship and the 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 how life is lived together. And I'll be honest with you, like within our own church, our biggest struggle is looking beyond. Sunday morning and Sunday school or discipleship groups as some, as, as being a part of the life of God. And it has to be completely everything that we do in our jobs and everything like that. So I think I said that in the way I wanted to say it. <laughs> Sounds good to me. What, what do you have to say about that, Will? Uh, where do we go next? What does it look like to pastor <clears throat> moving forward? What does it look like to be the church? 
what changes, what stays the same? Yeah, so I think Moose is definitely a millennial because he was uh, <laughs> he, he he was he was going the Mandalorian right there, and I appreciate that very much. This is uh, the this, way. Th- this is the way, Moose. This is the way. Discipleship. I like it. <laughs> um, no, I mean I agree with Moose a lot. I think I and I've I've thought this before COVID. Um, I don't know if I've ever shared this with you or not, Josiah, maybe a little bit, but maybe not enough of just, you know, what is, is a, a sermon on a Sunday morning? You know, I feel like we grew up in the, at the height ish, maybe not the height, but pretty close to the height of American evangelicalism. And, uh, and, you know, the, it's always been about the sermon for, uh, for Protestant churches that aren't main, that aren't mainline. Us, us low, lowlanders. Um, and so, so, you know, like I've, I've, I've thought that a lot about like, you know, the, the, is the sermon really the best form of discipleship? And I agree with Moose. Like if you look at the book of Acts, it just, that's discipleship right there. It's like the, the intimacy of, of life together. Um, and so, may, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know, Josiah. I can't answer your question. It's too hard of a question because it's a good question. I think things will change. I think, uh, you know, there's already been a, a house church kind of movement thing. I think that'll continue to happen. Um, I think in some ways that's a good, I mean, it can be a good uh, response to COVID or even in the midst of COVID. I think you could still do a house church thing as long as everybody's being responsible uh, with the lower numbers and stuff, but there's still a risk in that, obviously. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how we'll move forward. I, I think I would be hopeful like moose and say that that covid will will be something that that god will use for the betterment of the church as we process through what it looks like to disciples uh what it looks like to be the church uh in the future i mean and hopefully the present (laughs) as well um so so well if that's too hard of a question i'll add a harder one like i did with sweet can the sunday morning or the sermon be a sacred cow in your opinion i mean i agree with so, so, so for me, I would just add that, that the sermon is the sacred cow um, for specifically like American evangelical folks, um, for sure. I mean, it's, it's, it's all about the sermon. Um, so, so yeah. So, and, and I know that. And so I, one of the things I always try to do is just little things that I've picked up from others There's nothing is original that I do. <laughs> um, but but I think it was Scott Daniels who, who won, who I heard it from first talk about like, you know, never to call the platform, the stage, you know? And so I try to do that. And then like life again, like it's just, it's about discipleship. And so it's about life together. It's about like, that's the most life forming thing. And so I I think for me, like, yes, the church, the Sunday morning thing is a sacred cow. The sermon is a sacred cow. So how can we utilize that and hopefully change it from a sacred cow into um into a place where where we are making disciples or at least bringing people together to say hey let's 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 come together more (laughs) than on a sunday morning let's let's enter into intimate relationships uh that where, where we're growing and experiencing uh jesus christ together and 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 yeah and reflecting his image throughout the, throughout our communities, throughout our families, um, and so on. And the tension of all of this too is, is like, 
there is something really American about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. And sure. so there's that temptation of just like, well, just throw the sermon out, throw the service out, <laughs> revolutionize it. Right. Cause you know, that's, that's sort of what we like to do as, as sort of a culture. Um, and so there's a temptation to do that. And then yet you have other people who are drawing huge amounts of following numbers and things like that, still doing it. And so the temptation is to say, well, that's, that's still the way to do it. <laughs> not, not recognizing that it is a sacred cow. And then the other part about it is the personal thing as a pastor is you're like, you, you mentioned house churches, Will. Uh, it's pretty hard to, to have a, um, an income, a, a sustainability for a house church and, and to take care of the family that, that you're looking to provide for in a ministry with most house churches, because you have to have quite a few house churches, you know, giving in some type of way. And yeah. I, don't, I don't bring up giving just to do it. It's, this is, this is a part of our life is, is our, our livelihoods. And, and we are completely dependent upon the gifts of others. We really are. Uh, and the faithfulness that, that they have, uh, you know, in things. So, all that to say is we can name the sacred cow and we can, we can try to throw it out with the bathwater. I don't think that's the way to do it, but then keeping it the same, it doesn't seem to be working either. And so this is the tension that, that we are in. Um, and I don't know if we're going to have like the greatest answer, um, especially in, in a podcast but <laughs> well I, I can give you i can give you a cautionary tale answer too i mean it may it may be worthwhile to mention that i and depending on when this podcast airs i will either have resigned and almost be done or i will be i will most likely no longer be a lead pastor at a church in western washington and one of the things i did you can connect the dots how you see fit was i stopped recording a weekly sermon and for me, it was a practical issue because of exactly what you're talking about. My wife is the primary breadwinner for our family, but it also means that because she's a nurse, every other weekend, she was scheduled to work at a hospital, leaving me alone with four kids. So the idea of going to a, a building, doing a live sermon where I couldn't actually technically have a nursery, watch my kids, and my kids were actually considered like the plague, the harbingers of death, because their mother could potentially be bringing COVID after every shift. It wasn't feasible to do. And, you know, it's people may not even realize if you if you pre-record a thing, you could spend like 20 to 40 hours on one sermon, depending on how many times you have to edit, splice, reshoot, or I kid you not, one sermon I had to upload three different times because that was when everyone was on Facebook, everyone was on YouTube, everyone was uploading all the time and the servers just couldn't handle it. YouTube and Facebook has since bolstered their servers, it seems like, and their capacities are greater. But connect the dots as you will. My experiment to not completely throw the baby out with the bathwater and to only preach every other week and give people opportunity to be guided through some sort of curriculum and gather together. Um, I, don't know if, I don't know how objectively people would look at that as successful or not given that now I am resigning, but I would a hundred percent agree that it has become this sort of spectacle. It's become the sacred cow. It's become um, almost the thing that like I, one of you had said, Oh, the church down the road does it the way I like it now. So I'm going to go there. Right. Like you guys don't do it the way I want it to be done. 
Um, and, and in some way, the frustrating inability to address that in person only exacerbates it, but it's a thing that's always been there. I had some person come to my church once and we had a small group gathering that would happen around tables on Wednesday nights. It's still in the facility, but they said, I don't get it guys. Like there's the circle K church. There's a seven 11 church. There's the AMPM church. There's the, and they kept going down the line and like y'all sell like some version of an icy, you just call it something different. Why, why is it? And they just really, they named it in such a way. Like, Oh, there's something there. There's some, there's some morsels of truth here. That's pretty significant but we have done so much to cater to a personal experience. We've done so much to cater to uh, personal opinions. We've done so much to cater to this is the way I like it. So give it to me the way I like it in, in the way of, you know, the Sunday morning experience that I don't know. I struggle as well. I mean, obviously I struggle enough that I'm resigning. Um, there's a lot to it. You know, I I've been, I've tried to tell my folks that I'm really open to them asking questions. I'm not going to, begrudge an issue that maybe they're tired of hearing me talk about but on the flip side i i still i still can't help but shake some hopes and dreams i have for what it could be in the future so i'm curious i would love to end on on some sort of a high note do you hope that we get back to an acts two sort of a thing i mean do you hope that that's what it looks like i think it's naive to say that everything changes some places will stay the same a lot of it will be cultural a lot of it will be because of you know whatever uh, demographics are, are in our congregations, but what would you hope we learn and do as a result of the things that have happened over this past year plus? It's a big question. Will you, will you go first on this one? <laughs> what, do you have any hopes and dreams that will enrich what <laughs> church is? Do you, is there anything you really hope that we learn in the midst of this moving forward? Um... Well, yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I guess I, now I'm wishing Josiah would have taken more time to think about that because you did give us that question beforehand. Um, I, guess, I guess for me, and I think it'll happen, honestly, so I don't know how much of a hope it is because I feel like it's going to happen if we allow it to, if we reflect on it enough and allow it to. Um, I, think, I think one of the hopes that it has to do with community, has to do with the the fact that we need each other. Um, and, and I, and I think that'll go a long way as well. Cause I, you know, we, we've been, the West is so messed up by the enlightenment. The alignment was good in a lot of ways, but man, this individual thing, this individuality thing has really hurt us and it's really hurt the church. And, um, and, and I think that COVID could potentially help us, uh, you know, with all the isolation and things like that, it could help us see the value of, of deep intimate relationships. And the church was always meant to be that place where everyone uh, who, who wasn't allowed to be a part of that, like wasn't allowed to have intimate relationships, at least not with everybody else. Uh, you know, like when you think about, you know, slaves, bond servants, meeting with, with the upper class uh, together, when you think about the different ethnicities, you know, of the church in the first century, I mean, so many different races, so many different cultures coming together uh, as the church. And, and, and so I think, I think, man, it would be, it'd be amazing if, if we could, if we come out of, tw- of COVID, uh, with that. Cause I, and again, I mean, I think the political thing, uh, is part of that for me as well of just the division, the divisiveness and the division that we see in our country, uh, in our congregations. Um, you know, 
I mean, in our families. And so, so, so I, that, that would be a hope for me, Josiah. I dig it. What about you, Moose? I think there is going to be a hunger for community. I, I'm right there with you. I'm not as optimistic as Will is only because <laughs> I think we've, it, it, I, I, you know, forgive me for being this way. We've in isolation, we've turned to the things that we have turned to that have divided us more. So, you, you know what I mean? Like there's sort of evidence that, that we are finding more intimacy in in the platforms that we want and the things that we want to believe and in even more like that. So I think though, I, and I hope, I hope that the, the desire for real relationship overcomes that. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I do believe that, um, you just said something, Will, that was just really, just really spoke to me. And, and just maybe the way forward is, is getting out of the, the very, the, the homogeneous uh, congregations that we have. Um, I, I think we have, as you've heard it maybe from, from a few uh, pastors who, who, have, who aren't white, I'll just say that who, who people of color that say that the most segregated time in, in America is on Sunday mornings. And maybe the, maybe the solution into this is actual real diversity instead of this sort of fake diversity that we have in, in a lot of our evangelical churches where, Oh yeah, we have different thoughts and things like that. Yeah, we do, but we really don't understand how other people are going through life. And we've made, decisions and we've made uh positions not even talking to somebody who experiences life completely different than me um you know what i mean and i think maybe that's the only way forward is is actually having truly diverse churches that we have really gone away from um in in america and and maybe that's it but um I'm just happy to be a part of it all, guys. It's there's a lot of work ahead of us. <laughs> uh, no doubt. Uh, I, but yeah, I, I do hope that 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 intimacy is is the the craving that that causes it to happen. Otherwise, we're just going to be we're just going to continue on in our consumerism, materialistic, uh, political obs, uh, obsessions, and it's just going to it's going to get worse. So. I, I guess we'll see. Maybe the maybe maybe we end on a we, we will see. Hopefully, we can be sensitive to where we're led by the spirit to go. And oh, that'll... Right. You wanted to end on a high note. I'm sorry. <laughs> maybe I should have gone first, and Will should have gone second. It's fine. Part of what I want to name is the reality of the burden it is to try to lead through such a time right now. So it doesn't hurt my feelings whatsoever. Um, but hey, genuinely, I appreciate the time. I know. Part of these COVID conversations, the, the uniqueness is that we're not all on the same uh, situation. What? I got what? it. I got it. Here, here's here's the high note. We can we can end on it. Out. Let's okay. do it. Pastor Let's it up. If there is anything that COVID can do, it's not just the craving for a relationship. It is the willingness to try something different because we've had to try something different at least That's one thing good. in the past year. Like for example. Um, 
my church probably would not have been at all a fan of online church and we've been online churching it since October. So they have tried something different. So there is maybe an openness to say, Hey, you can do church in a different way. Maybe it doesn't have to be this way. So there you go. (laughs) I agree. I think that's a big step moving forward is that there's just maybe the slightest, even if it's forced slightest openness to adaptability and a little bit of flexibility. I just saw we got hit with some snow. Um, If you didn't notice, we, we caught up in the Pacific Northwest doesn't do well with snow because they like their water falling out of the sky in liquid form. But folks were like, hey, no in person, but it's cool. Just do it online. And most people are like, oh, cool. There was one church I saw in the community. Like, what? No online? The pastor said, sorry, guys, no online, no in person. And people were actually like upset that there wasn't going to be online. And like, what a shift. And the pastor had to carefully say, guys, the person that runs the camera that runs this, that like, we can't get out of our driveways. So sorry, even online is not going to work, which I thought was hilarious, but yeah. So willingness to be flexible and adaptable, I think is huge. It's a huge thing we can maybe take away from this period of time. And also just understanding that we're not all going to get there the same way. I think that'll be important for us to be mindful of, which is why I want to have some of these COVID conversations genuinely. Um, I want to hear some of the different perspectives the different approaches we had a COVID conversation where one person left their church and had to start in the middle of a pandemic and another person stayed in the same church the whole time just there's going to be stories like this that I think will help us learn and grow and and maybe uh, discern God's will moving forward for each of our contexts but I want to say thanks to having you both on I appreciate your time and willingness to um, share some of your personal struggles your triumphs your your good goods, the the fact that you both are at least more fatherly now or fathers for the first time, if not, you know, increasing the number of children that you have. So thanks for being on the show today, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yes. Thank you. Shake it off, man. Shake, Shake it, it off, off, man. Shake it off. Hey, and, and since you said that, I just throw some scripture at you, you know, God says, uh, be fruitful and multiply. So I'm doing my part, boys. So oh my goodness. Let's, let's go. I get I get grilled on our text threads for doing that too much. So thank you for know. pastorally spinning that one. Um, yeah. Real quick, real quick shout out to our network. It's interesting. We already talked about it a little bit in this podcast about home church networks. One of our podcasters and our millennial pastor podcasting network is doing just that. The table, a church planting journey. They're just documenting their journey and trying to create exactly that: a network of home church plants. We also have the pastor's wife, a podcast who, uh, a podcast host who is the spouse of a pastor. She doesn't just interview women. She has interviewed plenty of men. She just happens to be a pastor's wife. And it's an interesting uh, uncovering, if you will, of what it is to be married to someone in ministry, which is probably something we should also be more willing to listen to the stories of as well. We have also a new podcast joining the fold, A Plain Account. I jokingly refer to them as millennial pastors, given their millennial hot takes in commentary form. But no, the, the hosts of that podcast are great. And we're working on a couple more as well. So uh, please check out the network. What? Who, who has time for the, all these podcasts? I have a kid now. Like listening to things is like. <laughs> that, you're, you're supposed to help shamelessly plug, not negatively critique. Oh, no, I want, I want to listen to all this. I just don't know. Like personally, I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to listen to all this. <laughs> well, that actually brings up an important point. We are trying to schedule to where we're not inundating your podcast feed with something every day. It's not all of us 
publish every week. Some of us do, but those that don't publish every week are on a rotating basis. We're trying to publish every other week. So we're not overloading your podcast feed, but check it out. Um, but to our listeners, thank you for listening. Please be sure to like and subscribe and do all those things on all the social medias and on our podcast feeds. Give us reviews, give us all those things if you think it's worthwhile so word can get out. These stories can be shared to more folks. But as always, it's been my privilege and pleasure to be this podcast host. If you're interested in hearing more about what young folks are doing in ministry, if you're interested in hearing about millennial pastors and even maybe a sprinkling here and there of nuns and duns, because seems like we might have some folks willing to share some of their stories as well, then please stay tuned next time for the Millennial Pastor Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Josiah, and it's been a pleasure to spend this time with you. Thanks for listening.